You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. There are the touch tones. That is your cue to join us here in the Straight Talk segment on Real Presence Live. Father Jason Leffer and Father James Gross joining you from our Grand Forks studios. And the number to call is 877-795-0122. You can also leave a message on the Facebook page for Real Presence Radio. And uh, that number again, 877-795-0122. We look forward to visiting with you. Um, Father Leffer, before we uh, move on to that, there is just something I was thinking about with our last discussion of Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frank. My all-time favorite movie is is one that uh, seems rather obscure to people, but it was um, it actually won an Oscar for Best Actor for Roberto Benigni in the late 1990s. Life is Beautiful, and the the it's about an Italian Jewish man and his family and how he is trying to hide the horrors of the concentration camp and the final solution from his young son. Uh, the movie has a little bit of everything. It has drama, it has tragedy, it has comedy, even slapstick, lots of different parts. And so I would recommend very highly that to to all of our listeners. It's a movie that's really meant uh, for the whole family, even though it takes on, you know, really mature subject matter. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, that, that the going over the man's search for meaning trigger that in you that came out while we were in theology actually it was a very yes. very very powerful thing I, I saw it like I think five times in the theater we had this we actually saw it be- the year before it came out because it, we had the, in St. Louis we had this theater that always released these international movies yeah early. art house kinds of things yeah mm-hmm. and but the thing about what's interesting why it kind of triggers is in a way, that movie is written the exact way this book is. It's it's like two movies in one. You have the the first part, which the shows romance and 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 the beauty and really life and blah blah blah. And then it then it shows the horror yeah. of war mm-hmm. and and the meaning of sacrifice in the. It's a, I mean, so it's a real. Like, like you said, it, you'll, it's kind of one of those experiences you'll never forget. Just like this almost book. makes me tear up just thinking about the different scenes in it. Yeah, yeah and, and, it's, and it's very uh, one of those deep. Mm-hmm. moving experiences absolutely yeah. we we have come to the uh we have come to the resurrection we have come to the octave of easter and we'll be talking about some of the different parts about that no okay so father here let, let, let's stimulate our listeners this morning now the thing is it looks like they're alive with resurrected life we have questions here i've got a bunch of text questions come in we'll we'll try to get to all of them but what i'd love too for our listeners mm-hmm. like you know today's gospel and the first reading talk about testifying that you're called to testify to give witness to what you have seen that you you are a witness to these events the the resurrection the glory of god and it would be wonderful for any of our listeners to call in and give us a short pithy um witness or testimony to the glory they've experienced in this this octave of easter or through the resurrection or through the sacraments or maybe we have somebody who's just newly baptized or new sacraments or neophyte christian or somebody who is a sponsor who walked the journey with another leading them in this would be just an absolute perfect time to fill our airwaves with just this you know christ victory over sin and death in your personal life Mm -hmm. and how you've personally experienced that tasted it seen it 
witness yeah. to it. So, so really take advantage of these airways right now to mm-hmm. testify to the power of Christ over sin and death. Right. Please use us. Take advantage Not of only us. would we ourselves appreciate those stories, but there are a great many listeners, somebody who might just be stumbling upon this channel for one of the first times, uh, to, who, to whose heart you will be speaking as you're sharing that experience. 877-795-0122. And with today's gospel, each day in the octave, we have different accounts from the resurrection narratives. And in a sense, this one, I was telling my congregation this morning, this one we hear today from Luke 24, the end of his gospel, is really my favorite in a sense because of the wonderful compassion that our Lord shows. You know, when he appears in this room after the disciples have run back from Emmaus and are telling their story, they're frightened and they're terrified. They think they're seeing a ghost. You know, it's not where they all, you know, just simultaneously drop to their knees in serenity and stuff like that, you know, and rather than to take them to task or to be uh, you know, um, cruel and bitter with them. He is uh, compassionate, you know, showing them his wounds, eating something in their presence so that the morsel of food doesn't just drop down <laughs> to the floor, you know, various things like that. And I'm thinking to myself, if I were in that situation, I would want Jesus to be exactly that way in terms of working with me. Yeah. You, you know, and it, it just, it, it it's so beautiful and powerful how I, I always tell people that you know, the reason they don't recognize him, because we're all, we saw what happened. We saw the horror. And we're all convinced that death has won. And we're looking for death. We're looking for a dead body. We're, we, we're downward looking. We're looking at the physical, the substance, the destruction, the horror. We're not expecting God to bring life out of death. And, and this is where, like, what you're, you're talking about, this gentle coming and helping us to grasp with the true reality, which is what? God brings life out of death. And so a true hope-filled Christian, mm-hmm. like Pope John Paul always said, we, Alleluia is our song, we are people of the resurrection. You know, a true hopeful Christian is one who fully expects in every circumstance that God is going to bring life out of death. And so I don't know if we have uh, Francis on the line. We do have a, a couple of different questions that he submitted, but uh, let's just go ahead and take these one at a time. Uh, Francis called in from Pizek, one of your faithful parishioners Absolutely. here, Father Leffer. Wonderful. The first one that he addressed to us is pertaining to angels and saints. We know where saints come from, but how about angels and archangels? So when it comes to maybe just kind of a brief scriptural record of the evidence that we have of of angels, because it's interesting, there was uh, the Sadducees, right? They were the ones who denied uh, the existence of angels and various other uh, supernatural spiritual realities. So, I mean, the first thing that comes to me, just, you know, we know where saints come from, but how about angels and archangels? So, the first thing that comes to me is, well, God created them. They, they are God's creatures. That they they are an extension of of God's vision and love of glory. They they are a personal uh, expression of of God in in a limited capacity, but a profound capacity. And so. Where do angels come from? Well, they come from God, just like we're um, from his imagination, from his love, from, and now, and maybe Francis is asking, well, how do we know that they exist? Or, well, we we know they exist through testimony from from others. Like we have Daniel in the... Divine Revelation. Revelation, Where he he encounters Michael, the archangel. And Mm -hmm. St. Paul tells us about the nine choirs of angels, that there are nine choirs of angels, which he... Right. Got from his Jewish yep. Jewish theology. So, 
Um, yeah, and uh, Tobias uh, accompanied by the Archangel Raphael. So there are those. And, 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 yeah. and maybe to finish it too, he says, well, we, we, we know where saints come from. I'm like, I'm not sure that we do know where saints come from in the sense that they're not manufactured. There's a saint tree. They come through suffering, perseverance, and uh, a body-soul relationship in this world, encountering the physical and spiritual trials of this world, perseverance in faith in Christ by the grace of the Holy Spirit, right? It's a... Mm-hmm. It's a lifelong journey lived out right. in the grace of and God. And in some cases, it's uh, uh, mysterious because of the notorious nature of certain people's past lives and that how God's grace works in them in bringing about conversion. We understand that we do have Francis on the line, so welcome to Real Presence Live, Francis. Um, we were uh, just visiting about the first half of your question. If you wanted to uh, just uh, run that uh, second part of it uh, by us regarding uh, your question about uh, the place of Bethlehem, in the Holy Land. Okay, uh, well, the Church of Nativity is in Bethlehem. I've never been there, but uh, I guess it's roughly 100 miles from Nazareth. And you get some people that are kind of questioning, well, is that the right Bethlehem? Because there's a Bethlehem by the Sea of Galilee, and that's just a few miles okay. from Nazareth, apparently. And Mary riding when she's pregnant, uh, Blessed Virgin Mary riding a donkey for 100 miles to the church is uh, na- like the nativity uh, just kind of seemed like an impossibility. That's why some people are questioning, well, why went to Ben Bethlehem by the Sea of Galilee? <laughs> sure, and, sure. Um, I, I think where we start is with uh, evidence not only coming from uh, sacred scripture, but other sorts of secular archaeological evidence with regard to the family of King David and the Bethlehem to which, uh, from which they had come. That, um, you know, this actually happens, I think, more often than we may realize. I was just kind of researching uh, this a little bit of a tangent, but uh, the story about the road to Emmaus, you know, there was a little bit of confusion as to what that was because there are several places called Emmaus that word means hot springs you know and one of them is close but not exactly according to the geographical directions of St. Luke but the church has basically decided this is what it should be but there's no other evidence right in terms of who happened to live there what kind of landmarks you know various things like that so those are some of the things that we look for in order to identify which Bethlehem is the Bethlehem that we mean certainly it was an arduous journey I guess about 70 some miles as the crow flies from Nazareth uh, to Bethlehem and um, because of the demands of the Roman Empire with regard to how they conducted the census. Certainly Joseph and Mary were not the only household that that needed to do this. You know, Mm -hmm. one of the other details about the Holy Land, Francis, too, is like, um, you know, it's it's interesting, like, what what our imaginations do with what it is, and then when you actually go there and see. I know the first time when when I went there and looked, I, I was shocked about how small and intimate everything is. Like, when you're, you read the gospel and you're standing in the place and you're, you realize, oh, this is the only way it could have happened. Because it, it's, you know, your imagination now is in concrete reality of how things are laid out in the geography. Yeah. Um, so it, once you get there and experience it, you, can, you realize, oh, this really did, this really is the place. The, the, the second thing is this, that I know for our modern minds, the idea of riding on a donkey for 100 miles seems like impossible or arduous and terrible. And, but, but actually... The, in the Holy Land, there were, there were well-developed routes that your average or common person would travel on and ways of traveling. Uh, very much like now, like we, we live way up north in Pisic, but people don't even think twice about hopping their vehicle and driving two and a half hours to Fargo for a football game. 
you know, like we, we don't even pause twice about it. Like, so like going, for example, going from, going from uh, Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Holy Days. Nobody yeah. would even, even though it's an arduous journey, mm -hmm. it was like, of course it's the Holy Days. We're going right. up to Jerusalem. There was a culture of pilgrimage when you yes. look at the things that people were doing, you know, throughout the course of, just uh, as a matter of course, because of their Jewish faith. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Francis, for uh, okay. calling in, and please call again anytime. Yes, please, Francis. Thank you, and, and God bless you and the whole J-Mart today. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yes, just mentioning the J-Mart, I'm starting to get a sugar contact Are you salivating over, from, over the, the yeah. wonderful chocolates? <laughs> Chocolate. <and> the, <sighs> All right. We and, have and, the, the, and the delicious head cheese they have there. Don't forget the head cheese. Too. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, a, yes. it's a veritable cornucopia of good things <laughs> at the, the J-Mart in downtown Bezac. Um We have Nate on the line calling us from uh, Williston out by the heart of the oil patch. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Hey, guys. Uh, just turned on uh turned you on here on the radio a little earlier and and uh, i know you had said that uh you know how did the sacraments change you and how your easter has been changed because of the sacraments and uh, yes, sir. i've tried a few different i've tried a few different things this this last easter here and and lent and uh i can't recommend enough confession confessional 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 and um of course through praying the stations of the cross and you know, um, the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary, um, what a journey it is. And so if there is new people to the church and people that have gotten confirmed in, I, I can't recommend that enough. And, and what a freeing, beautiful thing that we've received. And uh, to use that not just through the Lenten season, but to also carry that on throughout the year. Now, Nate, how would you be willing to have? Have you always been active in the sacrament of confession, or how did you personally discover it? Or in what what ways has it has it affected your your spiritual journey? Um, so, to answer the first question, no, uh, <laughs> I would use the term lukewarm at best when it came to confessional. Right, and uh, we have to remind people that it isn't a place of judgment. Uh, there's three people in that confessional is, is you, the priest, and, and Jesus himself, right? And so um, it's, it's to clean yourself, uh, wash away your stain, and make you as, as pure as snow. Um, and as I started going, little by little, it was once a month, and then once a month turned into two weeks, and then now I'm at about a, a weekly confessional, uh, did, uh, did and then somebody... the, the sacraments as well. Did somebody invite you to that? Was it a priest or another person, or did you read something? Or what was the thing that prompted you or convicted you, like, hey, I'm going to try the sacrament again? Um, some of it had to do with actually learning and growing in the old rite of the Mass as well, with all the indulgences um, from confessional, along with receiving communion. Um, and, and that really kind of sparked it, sparked it. Uh, and then it has become such a habit. And you got to use that as well as not necessarily, um, wow, I've fallen, I'm such a miserable person, but use it as a tool to learn and grow from, too, because if you come in weekly or every two weeks and you're going to confession and you're repeating the same thing, you realize that, hey, I need to work in this area, right? I need to stay away from this near occasion of sin, which then leads me to my sin. And so you can avoid things and you start to see things a little bit differently in your life to just live a better, cleaner, holier life, right? So Nate, did you, have you discovered, like, in, it sounds like this has been a process and a discovery for you. Did, did you find, like, at different points that it's just, you appreciate kind of the, 
being anonymous when you go or have you discovered that as you go like wow i've encountered a certain priest who acts as a spiritual guide who can guide me and the the more he knows me the more i can grow in my relationship or w what's been your experience as far as just being anonymous in it or actually trying to develop a relationship with with the priest i would say i would say both so uh, I travel a lot for work being out here, and so sometimes I'm in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or Douglas, Wyoming. I have a place over in Fargo, and so when that lands with wherever I'm at, uh, if, if I feel a wedge between me and Jesus, I know that I need to go to confession. And priests, you know, bless their heart, they do everything for us. They give you absolution of it, right, of your sins, but... Um, you know, some, some priests are better than others. Some might have a relationship better with, than others. But uh, I will say that having a relationship with your priest, uh, he can give you a little more guidance. He, he knows where your heart is and that you're contrite. Um, it makes a difference. A absolutely, it makes a difference. And then you also mentioned, like, discovering the devotional life. So you mentioned stations, the, the rosary, things like that. Is a, what, what, what is that rediscovery of the devotional life? What, what has that done for you spiritually? Well, um, a little bit of a backstory. I was gone for many, many years from the church and was really just running into a brick wall daily uh, until I realized I, I can't do this anymore. And little by little, I went to church. And uh, I've seen many people before Masses in the, in the different parishes I ended up in uh, praying the rosary. And I said to myself, you know, I really, I really need to start praying the rosary. Um, I got one for my birthday from a friend of mine. And at that point, I started praying it daily, which then led to three or maybe all four. Um, and since then, now I'm a devout, like, one rosary a day. And that, that is basically a Bible on, the, on a rope, right, with beads. Anywhere you're at, you can follow the footsteps of Jesus in his life. Mm -hmm. Well, Nate, thanks for being oh, such a powerful witness. Totally, powerful, totally recommended. Thanks for being such a powerful witness, and, and as the Gospel said today, to testify to these things that you have, you have witnessed. We, we, yeah. we appreciate it very much. Yep, thanks for taking time out of your busy day, and uh, thank, it was great to hear from you. Thanks, guys. Excellent, yeah, and we should also give a shout out to uh, the the guys out at uh, St. Joseph's in Williston, Father Kovash, uh, Father Hilsendigger, whose uh, grandparents were from my hometown of Napoleon. And so. weren't you saying, Father Gross, uh, off air maybe, that are they about to get dumped on some more spring snow? Is there is forecast about a foot of snow for Williston, Watford City, uh, perhaps Dickinson, some of those places, mm -hmm. and into eastern Montana. I wonder if we'll, I wonder if by July the snow will stop. Anyway, okay. Well, the pastures <laughs> will be nice and green, that's one thing for sure. <laughs> 877-795-0122. We still have a few minutes left, and we do have someone else on the line. We have Karen with us. Good morning, and welcome to Real Presence Live. Good morning, fathers. Happy Easter. Happy, Happy Easter, Easter to well, you, too. And so you wanted my, to share your experience during Holy Week in oh, the Triduum with us. Yes, actually, it started during Lent with the most powerful um, advice in confession that blew me away. And then on Passion Sunday, Father Lepper, you challenged us to um, walk with Jesus through the scriptures. So every night when I went to bed, I would meditate on that day's scripture. You know, I watched Jesus as Mary washed his, his feet. And I also learned that back in Jesus' time to have 
to wash your feet. That was even below a slave. And the whole week, I, I you know, of course, all this blessed snow. I, I told myself I was going to have the most powerful Easter ever. And I did. We had family cancel. That's okay. We had just the most powerful, wonderful Easter that I can't stop smiling. Hmm. Thank you. You know, Thank you're you. just you, you know what, what you're um, what you're sharing with us and testifying to is like one of the one of the most basic kind of uh, spiritual experiences where where literally the Holy Spirit, you know, in in, in um, the the Gospels, Jesus uses this word, "Do this in remembrance of me," and it sounds like we're supposed to remember something, but in reality, that what's happening is we're being taken back. 2,000 years, and we're being taken into, we're actually entering into, and it's it's living now at this moment. And what you're sharing with us there about your experience with the sacred scriptures where you were being taken by the Holy Spirit spiritually back into the place that you were becoming Mary at the feet of Jesus. And and you're actually being allowed to, to experience the the through your emotions, through your your intellect, through your spiritual faculties, uh, the reality of it. And, I, and that, you know, the thing I'd like the listeners to understand is that it's available for every one of us. It, this can come alive for every one of us if we, if we allow ourselves permission for the Holy Spirit to do this in us. Mm -hmm. It was sort of a surprise retreat, I guess, for you, wasn't it, Karen? It was wonderful. Just, yeah. Yeah, it was deep. Excellent. Yeah, well, thank you so much for uh, thank you so much for sharing that perspective uh, with uh, with the rest of us listeners and uh, blessings to you during this Easter season. Same to you. Thank you both. You're very welcome. Okay, Father Gross, we have a question a text online for I'll you. Lay it on us. Here, already, here's a surprise one coming at you. Here's the question. Okay. All right. Can someone who is Catholic but not living Catholic for many many years but they are now diagnosed with a terminal illness, so they know they are to die. Are they able to receive the last sacraments and apostolic blessing and Holy Communion? Certainly. Uh, someone who is, is baptized and has the, the desire to do that, um, we would be most happy to do that. The, the first step would be to, uh, to the degree that a person is possible, um, you know, make a good confession. And that's where you certainly hope that you're um, intersecting with that person's life while they're still in, you know, a, a conscious state to be able to um, apply themselves directly, you might say, to uh, receiving that forgiveness. So in that case, what we would do, and it perhaps wouldn't just be a single time, but uh, what uh, falls under the umbrella of the description of the last rites would be um, uh, confession, uh, as well as anointing of the sick and uh, the reception of Holy Communion. Those factors, I guess, with regard to a viaticum, you know, or it just depends on, once again, how capable the individual is of being able to receive communion. Also, let's say if it was somebody who was baptized Catholic but has been lapsed for a large part of their lives, if they had not been confirmed, we certainly could also offer that too. Um, and, you know, we're very much thinking about the Sacrament of Confirmation these days with our, uh, uh, our kiddos who were, you know, baptized as infants. But definitely, um, the, the Church wants to bend over backwards to provide the graces people need. And, and I, think, I think the key... At the heart of this question is has to do with the will. Like there, there needs to be a desire on the part of the person if they're able to communicate, 
or if they have communicated it to someone else before they they mm-hmm. become unresponsive, saying this is my will and my desire. And the, the church actually, uh, within canon law, it allows for even non-Catholics if to to receive all this if they express it. Um, in regard to communion, they would have to as well express some understanding and belief in the real presence in order for that yeah. to happen. But the the, ba- the last <laughs> canon, the last canon of canon law is in the case of death, all all bets are off so for the salvation of souls. Mm-hmm. The church errs on the side of mercy and leniency when at the moment of death is. I mean, the church is tremendously merciful as Christ was to the repentant thief. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the cross, you know, this day will be with me in paradise. So, and, and there are again ca- caveats and different things on in this, but it's it's the the errors yeah. on the side of right. And, and we certainly this. just uh, one little postscript to that. We uh, certainly encourage people to express uh, a contrition, a sorrow for sin, motivated by their love for God, with a firm hope in God transforming them and removing that stain of sin. People might have you know a lesser motive in terms of their you know like attrition or whatever the various. Uh, Phrases, but that's what we would encourage people okay, to do. Okay, Father Gross, we only have a few seconds, so you're on, on the clock. Here we go. Okay. Powerful, good, really pertinent question. This Sunday, yes. the Orthodox are celebrating Easter mm-hmm. in the Orthodox Church. So the, the question comes in here. Um, oh, they had so many beautiful questions, but this one. How do the Eastern Orthodox Churches determine when to celebrate Easter? Do, the, do you think the Eastern Western Catholics will ever celebrate Easter on the same Sunday? Is it possible that it ever ends up on the same Sunday? We certainly could hope so. I, I, I guess from my perspective, when you look at the theological differences, they're not all that stark. You know, a lot of the baggage came down to, you know, so more worldly things in terms of uh, political, you know, um, factors and, and, and the, the, the primacy of the Holy Father, stuff like that, you know, and how that worked out in geopolitics when the schism first took place. The formula in Roman Catholicism that we've come up with in order to determine the date of Easter uses a couple of, you know, objective facts. So we uh, find the first uh, day of spring, then we locate the first full moon following that, and then the first Sunday after that. So depending on when those things uh, fall, it could be as early as late March, it could be late April, or, you know, anywhere in And that's connected because in, in the book of Genesis, it, dis- it tells us when the Passover was. It was the, the first full moon, a- full moon after the 14th day of the month of Nisan, which you just described. Yes. And and now, so, now, what is it that the Orthodox do? How do they determine when it is? Gosh, I don't remember what exactly I think it's the, the it's formula the Julian is. Calendar. So basically, okay. yeah, the Julian and yeah. Gregorian calendar, and, and it has to do with the sun and the moon <laughs> and the planets. So Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. that's the short answer, and we right. just we pray for unity that we'd all come together as one body of Christ one day. Yes, yes, so that uh, the church can be fully breathing with both lungs of, of east and west, as one might say. Well, thanks for all of those calls and that input for Real Presence Live. And uh, up next, Divine Mercy Sunday is right around the corner. Father Huck from the Diocese of Crookston will join us to share how this day is extra special for his parish. Stay with us on Real Presence Live. 